Hey, good evening, my friends. It's Dr. G. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Joining us here live via Zoom and on Facebook. And I tell you what, we're going to have a great day for you. So pull up your couch, grab a pen and paper. We're going to have an amazing show tonight. Tonight's topic, of course, is COVID-19, coping in crisis. I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician. I practice at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. I'm also a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Check me on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. And I guess what? I'm so excited. So I tell you what, each week of this show, it's all about telling the truth. It's all about really, really making sure that you out there have the tools to be successful. And none other than right now, during this time, this COVID-19 pandemic, making sure that you have the tools to be successful in your mental health and well-being as well. We talk a lot about physical well-being, avoiding the virus, make sure that people that do have the virus get appropriately treated by their medical doctors and their hospital systems. But we're not having as much of a conversation that I think we should be having about the mental impact, the mental health impact that COVID-19 has had. The reality is this, COVID-19 has had a major impact on all of us in some way, shape, or form. Some more than others, some less. But really, it's a personal experience right now as we're all trying to cope with this. Again, the emotions that we may feel during this time are normal responses during an abnormal circumstance. So welcome back, everybody. Again, Dr. Mark Gomez here. Uh, you'll meet my guests in a few moments. I'm so excited to talk about really coping in crisis and what we're doing. And let me just paint the picture. You know, when forced to completely uproot our lives, which many of us have, the toll on both people's mental and emotional health can be unbearable. And so it's critically important to respect our emotions as we see them as a normal response again to an abnormal circumstance. So we're gonna to talk today about how has this virus affected our ability to cope mentally and, and emotionally, and how do we effectively manage this going forward? You're gonna meet my guests in a few moments. Before you do, I'm gonna hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So I want everybody to grab a pen, grab some paper. I want you to take notes. My pastor says it all the time, smart people take notes. And we're about to hit you with some gems today to provide the tools necessary to be successful with your mental health. So without further ado, I want to welcome my guests. I got to tell you a quick story about them. Love them both. They've been guests on my show in the past, trusted friends, colleagues, everything. Uh, I'm so excited that they've taken time out of their schedules and their lives to help share this message of opportunity for people out there. So uh, you can see them live. I want to introduce my guests to you. My first guest, Dr. Mark Browning. Uh, Dr. Mark Browning, PsyD, ABPP. He's a board-certified clinical psychologist, clinical director of Linden Oaks Medical Group Counseling Services, Linden Oaks Behavioral Health. Check him out with Edward Elmer's Health. Check him out at www.eehealth.org. Dr. Browning, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dr. Gomez. It's an honor to be here. Pleasure to be able to be on with you tonight to talk about this uh, very, very impactful and influential subject. Excellent. It's so great to see you again, uh, Dr. Browning. Dr. Browning, give us a little bit of your background. Tell us about where you did your studying, where you did your training, and a few opening words about what this topic today means to you. Okay. Well, um, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology, where I also received my master's 
what uh, many people don't know is that I'm a registered nurse as well. Uh, I became a nurse before I became a psychologist. So uh, I've got both sides of the healthcare field. Um, my work has uh, spanned a few different areas. Um, I started out actually in the forensic arena. I was a forensic psychologist for an agency called the Kane County Diagnostic Center in um, Batavia, Illinois. Uh, so really cut my teeth in that arena, working with a variety of clients and cases. And that was really a beneficial area to work in because in part, it was a bit like a community mental health center as well. So we worked with a lot of um, people in underserved populations who couldn't receive services otherwise, um, not just doing individual therapy services and group services, but also doing psychological evaluations as a friend of the court. Um, for those who have run afoul of the law. So very, very interesting work. Um, I have had a private practice in the past as well, actually is what, is what I was doing before London Oaks. Uh, I've been an adjunct professor at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. I've done uh, disability evaluations for the Department of Disability Services. Been a business owner, my wife and I owned uh, a medical staffing agency providing uh, nurses, uh, mental health counselors, CNAs for a lot of the um, uh, hospitals in the area. We did that for about um, for about eight years while I was in graduate school. And since 2015, I've been the director of the London Oaks Medical Group Counseling Services, a traditional psychotherapy practice, um, uh, overseeing the group of psychologists, licensed clinical social workers, LCPCs, um, and also involved in our behavioral health integration program where we've come in contact providing uh, licensed clinical social workers and psychologists for primary care practice. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for coming on the show. I'm so excited we're going to get into some You're great welcome. discussion in a few moments. I want to introduce my next guest. Uh, she and I go way back. We are, we are pre-pandemic. We are right down the hallway from each other. Now in the pandemic, we are in a virtual connection, but, uh, but I just, uh, just, just, just appreciate her knowledge and helping to treat the mental health needs and meet those mental health needs of the many patients that I care for. So I want to welcome back to the show. She's been on before. Welcome back, Katie O'Donnell. Let me read her credentials. Katie O'Donnell, LCSWCADC. She's a licensed clinical social worker and certified alcohol and drug counselor. She's with Lyndon Oaks Behavioral Health, Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Katie, welcome back to Tear Health and G. Thanks, Dr. Gomez. I'm so happy to be back here. It's always a pleasure. Hey, it's, uh, the pleasure's mine. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us about your training and, uh, and how you kind of interact with, with patients and clients and a little bit of a few words about why this theme is so important to you. Absolutely. So I did my uh, MSW, so my master's in social work at Loyola University downtown. And through that, I was able to do um, internships at Alexian Brothers Behavioral Health and their chemical dependency, um, chemical for addiction, center for addiction medicine. Um, and then I also did a rotation with a community service in Brookfield where we worked with uh, individuals with developmental disabilities and kind of figuring out services. So I had both that hospital setting and then also the community mental health piece, which I really appreciated. And then I actually started my first job at Linden Oaks inpatient working in the chemical addictions unit. And then I kind of stayed there for a while and worked inpatient on 
the eating disorders unit kind of made the rounds, really got a lot of experience. Um, and then I transitioned into our outpatient programming where I primarily did adolescents um, in our general mental health population. And then also helped specialize um, some of the self-injury program and really got involved in that. Um, and then again, worked with the outpatient eating disorders. So I did have a short stint where I left at Linden Oaks and worked at Insight Behavioral Health Hospital in their Oakbrook office doing a lot of eating disorder work with patients, which was a great learning experience. There are wonderful, great clinicians there who I really enjoyed having education from. Um, and then I came back to work through Edward because I've had such a wonderful experience with it to be in the behavioral health integration program. And I've been there for the past, this month is my four year anniversary. So, Congrats. Yeah, time flies. <laughs> so it's been wonderful. It's, this is probably, I, I tell people and I tell a lot of uh, people who are looking at different fields and are in this role and when I kind of interview um, new candidates uh, that this is probably my favorite role that I've ever had um, since I started my career. So I really love working with all of my colleagues and also what we're able to serve through the behavioral health integration um, role. And, well, yeah. well, thank you, Katie. It's been such a pleasure and congratulations on the four year anniversary. I've known you for four years now. That's awesome. And again, uh, again, I've, I've, I've received a, a, you know, a lifelong friend and professional colleague. So thank you. It's been amazing to continue to work with you, continue to do so in the future. So there you guys go. You've met Dr. Browning and Katie O'Donnell. Certainly again, my pleasure to have them back on the show. We're going to talk about this. So let me paint this scenario again. You know, for those of us that, um, that come into the doctor's office, we always call pe people that come in, we call it the chief complaint while they're there. And the chief complaint slash question an hour tonight as we're dealing with coping uh, with the COVID-19 crisis is essentially this. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected our ability to cope in this time of crisis? How do we manage this? And let me paint the record this way. Uh, and then I'm going to start asking some questions. Let me paint the record, uh, paint the scenario. Uh, the novel coronavirus COVID-19 has undeniably thrust upon us a full range of human emotions. Things like hope and fear and grief and gratitude and anger. Uh, those that found my video blog, I did a video blog yesterday, and I talked about the hope, the fact that there was some early success on our vaccine trial report in this country. And I also talked about the fear and that in Sao Paulo, Brazil right now, their hospital capacity is at about 90% and their numbers are going up. They're going to overwhelm the hospital system and the healthcare system may collapse. And so we have these range of emotions, but we've got to talk about them and how can we deal with them. And so again, I want you guys to take notes today and learn some things that are out there and then hopefully be able to apply them. And I want to put, set this here. And I know Dr. Browning and Katie will say this. Our doors are always open. We want people to come in and talk to us and be comfortable with talking to us in a very judgment-free, no judgment zone. We'll just make sure that you reach out. And as practitioners, we always say, we always put ourselves out there and say, we want to help people out, but it's hard for us to help people out if people don't come. So we just want to say, hey, go ahead and come and take that step. All right. So let me ask this question to Dr. Brown. And so here we go. First question. So how does one, as I talk about this, this range of emotions, hope, fear, anger, grief, gratitude, all that kind of stuff, how do we basically learn to respect our emotions and see them as a normal response during this abnormal circumstance? Well, I, I was going to allude back to what you said in the beginning. I think it was 
Victor Frankl who said uh, abnormal response to abnormal circumstances is normal behavior. Um, all of us are being impacted in unique and profound ways by what's taking place. And this is, I, just, I think this gets used a lot, it's unprecedented. This is unprecedented territory. Uh, when we're in a situation, I don't think in at least my history and any history that I'm aware of, that we had, you know, a, uh, a complete like uh, national quarantine. Um, uh, we've dealt with viruses in the past and everything that we've dealt with in the past has been really very scary. Um, so it takes us to a new level in regards to our emotions and obviously the invisibility of the, of the virus has its impact because we don't know if we're being affected, if our families are being affected, um, are we asymptomatic and affected? It's just, it is a really, really unique set of circumstances. But um, as healthcare providers, we don't fault people for um, their health concerns, uh, whether they're emotional or physical, uh, whether they were from a lifestyle change or they're genetic, we don't fault people for having um, different kind of health circumstances that they're working with, and that goes for emotionally as well. Um, what we do want to do is to extend ourselves the kind of grace that we would extend anybody else. I'm as guilty as, of this as anyone else. I get frustrated with myself if I overreact to a situation or make a bad decision or things like that. But if I had a client that I was working with, I would help them reframe that and um, give them self, um, some leniency, some grace for the decisions that they made. Were they making the decision under duress? Were there other factors that were taking place that was influencing their decision? Um, what was their emotional state at the time that it took place? And to be able to step back and understand that um, beating ourselves up about things or getting overwhelmed about them is not helping us make effective decisions to take care of ourselves in the best way possible. It's only really, really step back, uh, get some clarity and, and give ourselves some, so I, I can't think of a better word than grace. Um, can we really begin to make sound decisions and good decisions and, uh, and take uh, uh, healthy approaches to how we manage the crisis that's ahead of us? You, know, you mentioned the word healthy approaches, and I think that's really how we're trying to do it. And, and sometimes with the healthy approaches, we as professionals, as we're in our professional hat, we have our own bias on how to do that, but based in training, based in evidence, and of course, mm -hmm. you want to be able to apply that. Let me ask you this question, Katie. You know, here we are now. We've been over 100 days in, the, in this since the case, since the first case has been uh, diagnosed, confirmed in this country. You know, how are you approaching things now at over day 100 than, than how you're approaching it, uh, helping your patients maybe earlier on in the process? I think it's been interesting in that I have patients who had started, I'd been working with at very different levels. So I had a few who had only seen me for a few sessions before we sort of went into shelter in place and quarantine. And then I have a few patients who I've worked with for years, almost as long as I've been practicing in this office. So for people who I am more established with, um, they almost like kind of want to continue with business as usual in a lot of ways. Like I have things I want to work on, things that I'm kind of still focusing on. Yeah, we'll talk about coronavirus a little bit and then kind of come back to, and here's what I'm here for and here's what I'm ready to do. Whereas people I started fairly early on or, or, or more recently with, I find a higher level of anxiety and a higher level of distress related to it. And what I kind of see is we haven't been able to get those healthy techniques yet.
we haven't been able to get those skills to learn how to take that space. And Mark, you mentioned uh, Victor Frankl, and I, I butcher his quotes all the time in my sessions when I'm talking about <laughs> you know, creating that space. And in between the stimulus and response is where we have that space to make change. And it takes a long time and a lot of work and effort and awareness to start creating that space. So it's definitely been a practice for me to meet my patients where they're at whether they come in and they just need to sit with, I'm overwhelmed because things keep changing and I feel helpless. Okay, we'll sit with that. And some days I don't talk about coronavirus at all with a patient because no. they have other things on their agenda and other things that they've really wanted to get into. So it's been interesting just to see like kind of every day, what am I going to get with where my patients are at and what happens in, in the news that day? Let me, ask, let me ask you this, Mark, and Katie, yeah. you can respond to it as well, too. Talking about, again, how, you know, here we are over 100 days into this. If you had to go back in time, what you know now, and then applied when you saw your first patients 100 days ago, would you do anything differently, or has it changed at all? That, um, th that's, that's hard, hard to say. I mean, and part of it is because we're still in the midst of this thing. Um, to, to Katie's point, I mean, the novelty of it when this first came on and there was a real, um, uh, the angst and the fear was a lot higher. Um, so I think with patients early on, it was really um, an immediate kind of um, distress tolerance. Um, how do we uh, gather ourselves? How do we um, um, gain our emotional control? Because obviously fear then drives poor decisions oftentimes emotion can hijack um, uh, rationality and, and logic um, so a lot of the time folks with patients early on was in relation to that now it's like okay i've been able to stay physically safe at this point um, and this when i thought it was going to be over maybe after three weeks or a month and now we've had to settle into this shelter in place and it's gone on 100 days it's like how do i maintain how do I, you know, dispense with the fact that this is going to be something that's going to be over, like within a couple of days and get into a frame of mind where how am I going to navigate this now from day to day with the changes that are taking place? So the conversations have changed. Um, I don't know that I would really do anything differently because to Katie's point of meeting patients where they are, that was what was necessary at the time. Yeah. There's a different frame necessary, necessary for clients at this point. Um, than there was at the beginning. Katie, would you concur on that? I think one thing that I've noticed and I didn't start doing it till a bit later is there's a bit more self-disclosure on my part and sort of reestablishing some rapport, even with people I've worked with for a while that I'm feeling it too, guys. Like you see that now we're doing remote sessions and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna act like this isn't happening. Yeah. And here's where you might hear my kids in the background or <laughs> my, you know, what those, these real things. So we're more vulnerable as clinicians where when we're in our offices, even though you guys are all very gregarious, outgoing people, it just kind of makes that difference. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. I know for me, as I've kind of looked back on things, I mean, 
from a primary care position, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly looking at it from a very holistic standpoint, uh, not only just physical health and making sure that people are trying their best to uh, practice mitigation strategies, uh, but also still checking, on, checking in on them. And I think at this point, I think my approach has really been, well, a lot of my sessions with my patients have been, yes, we may talk about diabetes, or yes, we may talk about, are you checking your blood pressures? But I'm really trying to get at more like, how are you doing? You know, they're talking to me virtually, just kind of like how we're talking right now. They're seeing me on video. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt or something. Uh, and, and same kind of scenario with you, Katie. You know, your kids might be in the background. But how can we still stay in that moment and say, how are you? And I always say, like, one of the things to do is to really check in on the people around you uh, and to know that, that, you're, that these relationships that we have can still be substantive during this time. So, uh, so I want to make sure that, 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 those su- the, that the substantive discussions are still there versus a lot of some of the superficial stuff. So let me ask this question to Dr. Uh, to, to Dr. Browning. So here's the question. Um, many of us do not like change when it happens so fast. And, uh, and we can say that change happens very fast. And especially when that change comes with plenty of uncertainty. So let me ask you this. How can one person expect to thrive in their own personal space, because they might be sequestered now at home, but our social distancing, how can one be expected to thrive in their own personal space when they thought they were thriving pre-pandemic? You know, I, I, I like this question, honestly, because I think adversity is the doorway to opportunity. Um, it, it, it's, I think so much of our life becomes sort of uh, routine and mechanized, I think we get into, um, we sort of get on autopilot in the way that we live our lives. We have our structured routines that we get into. Um, we can kind of ex- anticipate how our days are gonna go for the most part. Um, and I think sometimes we don't really push ourselves or, or um, grow or expand our, our knowledge, our skills, our abilities unless we're faced with adverse circumstances. So um, I see this uh, as also an opportunity for for growth. Uh, If there are ways pre-COVID that you were responding to things that you didn't necessarily like about yourself, but because they became routine, you didn't bother to change them, there's no excuse for not changing that now. Whether that was in a work relationship, if you weren't um, maybe applying yourself to the degree that you could have, now is an opportunity to take some time to consider that and how would you want to do differently? Apply yourself more. If you spent too much time at work and that became your frame for uh, your success um, and you were neglecting other things, households, your children, your wife, those things, then redouble your efforts in, in that arena. There's less emphasis on work now. Um, can we become better in those realms, in those aspects? Was there, was there a skill that you needed to develop? Do you want to enhance a deficiency that you have as a practitioner? Um, do you want to evolve in the area of creativity or entrepreneurship or uh, learn a skill? Uh, There's no reason for not pursuing any of those things right now. And um, we can grow, we can evolve. I think this is a great opportunity uh, for people to to touch on different aspects of their character. If you were not as uh, engaged um, in a relational situation with family, extended family members, nuclear family members, do that. Take the opportunity to use that time to, to re-engage your children in a way that was different than before. Show some vulnerability with your wife that you maybe weren't showing before. 
Um, I just think it's, uh, you know, I think it can sometimes be guilty of seeming overly optimistic, but I, I do see it as an opportunity for things to really be different in a constructive way. So Dr. Browder, you're talking about um, um, the silver lining, so to speak. And so, and some people can see those opportunities and, and certainly I think all three of us have experienced those in our, in our own unique ways, but not everybody can see that, that opportunity when, when sometimes the change happens so fast and, and you feel like you might be treading water just to kind of, or you're just literally treading water to keep your head above water with so many different uh, uh, uncertainties thrust mm -hmm. upon you. So let me ask this question to Katie. Katie, are there any tools that you use to work with your clients, your patients that may have not been able to see the silver lining during this time of the pandemic? Absolutely. I think um, on the other side of that coin that Mark talked about are people who have this expectation they're placing on themselves to make it the most of this time. I should. Hey, Katie, are you still there? Sorry to interrupt. And that just keeps rising and rising and rising. And then people get distressed. They're, they're feeling more discouraged. They're feeling more isolated. And so all of these other emotions are just increasing and there isn't that outlet. So I kind of talk to people about even approaching this period of time, letting go of expectations. There's nothing you have to be doing. Are you keeping yourself and your family alive? Are you living within your value set, which is something I work on a lot with my patients, then you're, you're doing it. So where can we then increase and improve quality of life for you on your terms? So with a lot of my patients, it goes back to that cognitive behavioral therapy model where yeah. I'm looking at thoughts yeah. and how are we challenging the thoughts that are coming up and being aware of when that's getting in our way. When we're at home and I'm guilty of this, I would, make an educated guess that you guys are as well. Um, I have more free time and I probably engage in behaviors to fill that time. So boredom is one of the most uh, insidious emotions out there. And I talk about that with substance use populations. I talk about it with people who are working on just like healthy eating and emotional eating. And it doesn't have to be something even diagnosable, but when we're bored or trying to kind of avoid something, we tend to end up in the kitchen or we end up like uh, five different projects and we're very ungrounded. And then that kind of turns into a spiral of shame and guilt. And, I, and I've heard that from a lot of my patients. So I've had, I've had uh, those kind of moments where I have had some difficulty social distancing from my own refrigerator. So it, it is what it is. Uh, let me ask this question. This question came in from a, from a, from a, a viewer. I wanna ask this question also to Mark. Um, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about the, about the concept of space between acknowledging an emotion and responding to it. What does that mean? Um, I, I think um, in part it's about mindfulness. Yeah. I think um, praying, staying present in the moment uh, oftentimes, I think we'd be surprised if we slowed down and thought about our thinking. Uh, we'd be surprised how much time we spend in the future. Uh, we spend with some of the kind of distortions maybe that Katie was talking about, um, catastrophizing about how things will turn out. 
um, uh, doing emotional reasoning or thinking because we feel a certain way that makes it a fact when it isn't. Um, so I think the beginning to that is really kind of uh, mindfulness and taking a place to be still mm -hmm. and slow down and be quiet with no distractions and just to ground yourself and be present. Um, you know, to be able to do some, maybe some, some um, four square breathing or some kind of breathing exercises that help you kind of slow your mind down and slow your heart rate down um, and get those emotions back to a place of, uh, up to a sort of a, a baseline or plateau, which allows you to be able to th think with more clarity. Um, I think it starts with mindfulness and then a lot of what Katie is talking about uh, in regards to challenging thoughts. Are these facts versus opinions? Um, what is, is this truth, what I'm thinking about? The, are, are they impacted by, you know, other factors or our emotions? And, um, and, and really just taking the time to challenge, to challenge those thoughts, see them for what they really are, and then move forward from that point. So let me ask this question. Let me, so let me take a twist off that one. So, Katie, when you're seeing your patients, and, and, and as, as, as Dr. Brown is talking about, you know, staying anchored in this present moment and not trying to respond to a lot of thoughts, uh, you know, are they facts or things like that? Are you seeing, I'm going to kind of rope this into a question. Uh, pandemics can certainly unleash a lot of um, anxieties that were out there, people that may not have been seeking treatment for an anxiety disorder or may certainly exacerbate them. Uh, sometimes also the, the reality is during this time of the stay at home, shelter in place orders, you know, there may have been some barriers that have been created in connecting with professionals like you guys during this time frame. but, but now those, we know that those barriers are not impossible to overcome. But I think with COVID-19, it takes, takes anxiety and puts it, it's kind of putting it on this macro level, this huge level now. So where does, where does somebody start if, if, they, if they've already been already dealing with anxiety disorders pre-pandemic or now they're dealing with anxiety, anxiety disorders now pandemic, you know, or if it's gotten teased out because of the endemic, uh, a pandemic and underlying disorder, how do people start? Where do we start? Well, I'm biased, um, but I truly believe it's starting with an individual therapist and really finding someone that you can connect with because just as I don't expect myself to know how to clean my own teeth or perform my own physical, I don't expect anyone I work with to be able to do all the skills and know all these things that I went to school for. So my patients are experts on themselves and their experiences. And so that's where we work together to help figure out where can we tailor this to your experience and, and like I've said, meet you where you're at. So when I'm working with patients, um, I really come back to this foundation of mindfulness because as you were both saying, it is really difficult to learn a skill, to apply a skill, to be effective in that. If our brain is in the future, those what ifs, um, this catastrophizing, or if we're in the past and we're ruminating or regretting. Mm -hmm. I yeah. joke around with people that how many times have you been trying to fall asleep at night and then all of a sudden in pops in your head, that time you said that one thing in sixth grade, I can't believe it. <laughs> Our brain is built to do that. It's yeah. constantly scanning and kind of looking for things because it's trying to keep us alive. So it's not really that effective in this world that we live in. And it's still kind of that remnant from when we were cavemen and really needed to have that. So when I talk about mindfulness, um, when it's someone who's a new patient without 
coronavirus, I really kind of build a frame of what about why are we doing this? So kind of what I just said about we need to be in this moment in order to use skills. This is the moment where you have power. You can't predict the future. You can't control the, the past. And in this moment is where you can take action. And when we can kind of come back to that idea, then there are skills that can help with grounding. Mark mentioned four square breathing. Breathing techniques are fantastic because everyone's got a set of lungs or at least one lung. Uh, <laughs> you don't need like props and people t uh, usually don't look at you and know what you're doing. I have a lot of patients who are concerned if they're grounding. Are people going to be looking at me, judging me? What are they thinking? You can do four square breathing at your desk. You could do it in your car. And in case anyone didn't know what four square breathing is, it's just this kind of technique where you picture a square and you breathe in for a count of four and then you hold for a count of four, you breathe out for a count of four and then you hold for a count of four and you just kind of keep doing that. Um, there's no timeline. And I tell people too, don't worry about how quickly or slowly some people get very hooked on the numbers and the speed, and then it actually does the opposite of the intended effect. So the function behind that is it gives the brain something to focus on instead of maybe some of those thoughts. It helps regulate the cardiovascular system, the circulatory system, the pulmonary system. Um, and so we're getting that oxygen we need, we're getting that blood flow. And I also talk about physically grounding in the moment. So having both feet on the ground, having your hands resting gently in your lap. And I know I've talked about this previously, <laughs> Dr. Gomez, but having your chest open, having that kind of internal organs exposed, even if we just do that, we are grounded. You don't have to learn or know anything else if you can start there. Because when we're in distress, our biological response is to not up. And the yep. reason we do this is protect it's fight or flight, protect our vital organs. Our uh, sympathetic nervous system is going high haywire saying, you know, we got to get out of here or we got to beat something up. I got to make myself smaller so that the danger can't see me. What's difficult is that then it cuts off our lungs. It cuts off our blood supply and it increases that message to our brains that there is danger. So even just changing that physical presence can make a big difference. And so I, I tend to start very kind of pragmatically with let's talk about physically, what are we doing? What are ways to, if we talk about grounding, let's physically put your feet on the ground and you're connected with the earth. I tend to see people that I work with have one foot tucked under them or both foot tucked under them. But yeah, you're comfortable. I can sit comfortable too. And it's more likely that they're not gonna be present in the room because they're sort of detached. I think of it like a balloon, just kind of floating there. And then the brain is really good at thinking about, well, after this, I gotta go here. What about that time? And so that's kind of where I start. I got gotcha. yeah. you. Just know, to piggyback with Go ahead, go ahead. The piggyback what you're saying real quick is that, that that's, a, that's a, it seems like a small thing, but it makes an enormous difference. When I think about my own life and uh, mistakes I made, accidents that I've had, uh, bad decisions I made. It's because many times that I've been rushing from one thing to another, just trying to, to get through things as quickly as possible instead of centering myself in that way and getting my heart and my head right before moving into things and making much clearer, more conscientious, well-thought-out decisions. Um, 
and I and I think it it makes an extraordinary difference. I think it it, it would save us a lot of headache and a lot of heartache if we spent more time centering ourselves in that way before we got started on things that we were that we were going to do. Yeah, I was, I was going to say I agree with you both. You know, of course, as a as a primary care physician, one of the first options that people come to me, the first fix is they want the quick fix, mm-hmm. um, and want a, and want a medication. And and I try to come at it and say, you know, it's not just the medication, but actually the study, many studies have shown that cognitive behavioral therapy has been just as effective, sometimes even more effective than relying on a prescription medication until your anxiety disorders. Uh, but certainly, you know, this goes back to the stigma that's out there of mental health and we want people to know that mental providers, uh, mental health is just as, as, as real as heart disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer. It's as real as every physical manifestation you can have because you can have physical manifestations that we see in the body. So it's important. So know the signs when you're stressed. We're going to get to a couple common scenarios in a second, but know the signs of stress during this time. Watch out for muscle tension. Watch out for headaches. Watch out for an upset stomach. Watch out for maybe some nausea. Watch out for some difficulty sleeping. These are things that may be pointing to an underlying anxiety disorder, stress disorder, that we want you to seek medical attention for and not necessarily just run to a medication. So let's get into some common scenarios, and then we'll get into some myths versus facts. So let's talk. Let's have some real talk. All right, common scenarios. We talk about things that have changed during the COVID-19. Things, life has changed, events have changed as we know it. So I want to kind of kind of go back and forth. We'll start with you, Mark, and then we'll go to you, Katie. And we're going to, I'm going to pick a scenario. And I want you to just kind of tell me like the quick version of like a strategy, any barriers or a solution. And these are situations that are innately emotional. So we're going to play a little hypotheticals, even though, we can, even though we're saying don't focus on the what ifs, as I said a few moments ago. Like not the what ifs. You're trying to stay grounded in the moment. We're, we're, like, we're going to give you some what ifs. We're going to give you some what ifs. Okay, there you go. I like that. Here we go. All right. So uh, I like this one. So uh, Dr. Browning, give us an example. Uh, give us a, a strategy for somebody that's having anxiety or for the fact that they can't have play dates for their children anymore. How would you approach that? Oof, I think you should kick that with the Katie. I have grown children. Okay. I'll kick that. Then. Uh, then Katie, that's going to come back to you. I'm going to give you another one, uh, Dr. Brown. Here you go. Uh, gr- uh, graduations. Uh, we're in the graduation season right now. Uh, people cannot physically go to graduation or yeah. virtual graduations. Uh, give, us how to, give us a take on somebody who's having anxiety or a family that's having anxiety and the fact that they can't attend their child's graduation in the traditional sense. How do you get somebody past that if they're dealing with that kind of, kind of a anxiety right now? Um, these are all challenging scenarios. And I think, um, I, I think it's okay to agree with that. I mean, in a, in a larger sense, that is just one of the numerous losses that people are experiencing in this, in, in this day and age within the current climate that we're in. So first and foremost, I think it's okay to grieve that, like we'd be grieving any loss. There's no shame in that. Um, that is something that both the graduate and the family members have been looking forward to for quite some time. And I think it's okay to be real and authentic about how uh, um, hurt, upset, saddened you are by what it is that's, that's, that's transpired. Um, but in doing that, I think it's also time for creativity and innovation and coming up with new and unique ways to celebrate that that person. I've seen, I don't spend a lot of time online or social media or things like that, but I've seen just creative ways that people have done that. The way that they've set up their homes, the way they've invited people virtually, um, the the deal that the family has made about the graduation and people who can be together. 
uh, the parades that come by, people celebrating graduates, things that they've done with their lawns and making a, a big deal out of the graduation. So it's it really requires that we be creative and innovative in the approach. But that is to be celebrated. The one thing we don't want to do is to dismiss it and let it go. So it's not a big deal. Gotcha. Thank you, Dr. Brown. And Katie, playdates, how do we approach that? A lot of family members, are, are a lot of families out there in neighborhoods, they're, they're grieving with the fact that they can't have playdates in the traditional sense. How would you approach somebody who might be seeing you with that kind of anxiety? Oh, absolutely. And again, similarly, there is that allowance of let's hold that emotion. So, so much of it starts with let's, let's acknowledge and honor how frustrating it is, what you're feeling about it, and start from there. And then kind of seeing like, what are these options, this creativity that we can cultivate. I talked about boredom before, and actually I really appreciate the idea of boredom because it's where we are creative. When we're bored is when we are innovative, when we really are able to problem solve and, and kind of create some beautiful things. So I know with my kids, and mine are fairly young too, and, and nine months tomorrow, so that there isn't so much of that pressure where we were having a lot of regular stuff, but they can't see their nephew or their my nephews, their cousins. <laughs> so we've been doing um, weekly FaceTimes, or her, my daughter has a very close friend, um, and we'll just on the fly have a little facebook chat where they can look and, and, and talk to each other and just like reminding them that oh we're gonna we're gonna talk to paxton or we're gonna talk to your your boys and and really make sure that we talk about them while they're there we find different ways to be creative play when we go outside and kind of do things as a family we are able to go and walk around a neighborhood where we have a lot of kids and we're able to make sure like, Oh, look, there's another family. Hi, from the social distance appropriate yeah. and make sure that we're not losing that human connection. And as things kind of change and we're able to maybe have a social distancing thing where if it, you're at a forest preserve and there can be space, but right now it's just really looking at, how can we have that closeness without physically being able to touch? And it's so tough to do that with little kids who do not understand the meaning of that. I'm sure like your kids, your grandkids, like there's just no concept of I can't go and hug and, and love you. And so it's been a lot of just, well, we can't do this and here's where we can do this. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree on the, on the creativity aspect. And we've certainly been trying to be as creative as possible and using technology, but also finding time to connect as a family. I, uh, I, um, uh, me personally, uh, I've done a number of workout sessions with my daughter that I would have oh. never done. Who's eight years old. I would have never done that if I've been yeah. working, 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 working. I would never have that opportunity. And now we have a new relationship that has come out of this by just us doing an exercise video together several times a week. Let me give you a couple more scenarios and I want to get into this versus facts. Here we go, Mark. We'll do one, for, one more for Mark and then one for Katie. Um, how are we dealing with hospitalizations this time? Uh, we know that um, family members may have anxiety because their loved ones in the hospital. Uh, they cannot physically be there to hold their hand, to comfort them, to be asked questions to the treating staff. It's done in a, maybe a virtual scenario. And then the fact that patients that are hospitalized are hospitalized by themselves and not have that physical presence of family. How are we, how are we approaching that from a coping standpoint? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, these are all very challenging, but that's, that's really challenging because 
with the physical barriers, there's no real way around that. Um, and that's where we just used technology to its maximum, maximum benefit. Um, and trying to connect with those patients as, as, as frequently as we can, um, you know, to the degree that they can tolerate. Yes. Obviously, everyone's at different capacities when they're, when they're hospitalized. Um, but staying connected to the degree that we can to the staff, staying connected with the with our loved ones through the, the technology technological means that we that we have, and um, some of it, I mean, we have to commit to prayer because there are things that are within our control, but there are things that are are not. Um, but we really just have to to do the best we can with the tools that we have our, at our disposal to stay connected with those family members. Thank you, Mark. Let me give you this last scenario, Katie, just how we're coping in crisis. Um, I don't want to sound morbid, but we know that death is a reality. It's, 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 it's human. During this time, death has been, been really just capital, just, just really put on another level uh, because of the loss of the interpersonal connection where we are doing funerals differently than we have always done them. Uh, for for out of concern of not spreading the virus more. And I've had personal cases of patients in my practice that have actually contracted COVID at funerals. And so without observing social distancing. So how do we deal with grief in the sense of loss of a loved one? How has that changed where you're now having social distance at funerals and, and somebody and say somebody's approaching you and they're dealing with the struggle of the loss of a loved one and haven't been able to grieve and how they may have grieved in the past. How are we approaching those kind of scenarios? I think it's acknowledging and being able to hold that emotion. So we are, I mean, a society and, and beings that need physical touch and that's how we communicate so many things. So it's an opportunity to maybe hone some of that verbal support. How can we validate and learn about what validation is? Validation doesn't mean you agree with someone or you're putting your stamp of approval on something. It means I hear you, I see you, I see you're experiencing this and that's okay and I will hold this with you. And that allows so much for people, especially when they can't make sense of this, they've lost a loved one. So being able to offer that is incredible and, and something that we as human beings really don't allow ourselves to do as often because it, it's very vulnerable. Allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to another human being is one of the scariest things that we can do. Mm -hmm. It also is what connects us. So when we're able to find that connection through vulnerability and say, I hear you, I see you letting this piece of me open and I've had this piece and we're going to just hold this together and we don't have to fix it. We don't have to change it. We don't have to minimize it or say it's not happening. And it's okay to be angry too, that we can't mourn how we want to, that we can't have a service, that we can't see the body, that we can't do that. Because pushing that down or acting like it's okay or not impacting us really works. When we try to avoid, when we try to push things down, they typically come out. And usually it's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday in the grocery aisle. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of what we're working on is how can we maybe start challenging some of the taboos and stigmas because this is a very universal thing. There isn't one person on this planet who isn't experiencing it. And even if there isn't a diagnosable, you know, DSM, anxiety, depression disorder, people experience stress. 
I, I think there's going to be a lot more cases of trauma and interesting ways that we're approaching trauma related to this. Yeah. Kind of similar to having soldiers coming back from various wars. Um, I, I do want to, if, if it's okay, Mark, use this moment to kind of address how people can practice care. Please go right ahead. I know that we talked a lot about self-care. We talked about grounding. Um, and I just wanted to provide some services that are very accessible and things that I have had a lot of patients really appreciate and found just very, um, just provide hope. So in a very glib way, I, I kind of tell my patients, well, yeah, it is helpless and we can't control what's going on. We don't know what's gonna happen. And you have no more and no less control than you ever did over the world. You can still only control your attitude and your behaviors. And you can control your attitude and your behaviors. That's incredible. So having that power back allows people to recognize, all right, that means I don't have to kind of settle for the status quo or what's being told at me. Where can I take charge? So I've talked about a lot of ways that in their micro sphere, how can you be in control of that? You can't control someone's not social distancing. You can't control what politicians say. You can't control those riots. You can't control protesting. You can't control anything except your attitude and your behaviors. So if you really appreciate that restaurant that you had your first date at, patronize them, order out, donate, buy gift cards. Um, if you have a salon that you really appreciate, if you have a charity, if you have an organization, something in the community, reach out to your neighbors, have that connection, check in with people. That's all in your power. And that altruism is a coping skill and it actually makes us feel better. And it's a healthy defense mechanism. And then it's really spreading that. And you can kind of see that ripple effect. So when you can focus on, well, what are the things I can do? Well, I can, I can go order a dozen cupcakes and that's helping this business. And I'm very happy that I now have a dozen cupcakes. Absolutely. <laughs> And then I, I have heard a lot of patients who talk to me about feeling helpless, about people who are in um, abusive or dangerous situations during shelter in place. And what are the resources for them? What can they do? And, and even feeling that helplessness of since Ribfest was canceled and so many of the donations would have gone to these charities that help people in crisis. So what I kind of wanted to pass along and put out there is these places are taking donations. They are doing um, like fundraisers and it's really important to continue to support them because these are the places that are really looking after the most vulnerable of our populations. So uh, the ones that I've worked with before and are close by in kind of our area and where we all work on um, Metropolitan Family Services. Uh, they have multiple locations in um, DuPage County, um, Elmhurst, Wheaton. They have um, some more like Calumet City. They have some more north. There's just a ton of locations. Um, and they have a, a piece where they, they offer many services, including therapy and just options like that. Um, but they also have um, family shelter services, which is domestic abuse um, support. And um, they have uh, services there. So many are free. They help with legal stuff, with orders of protection, with housing, just all of these wonderful things. And so they have a 24-hour hotline, um, if it's okay for me to say it, uh, 
Oh yeah, you can go ahead and say the number and then we'll, we'll yeah. keep this going. Please go ahead. Um, this is important. But it's 630-469-5650. So if anyone out there is experiencing domestic abuse, domestic violence in their home, you can call 24-7 and there's support out there for you. Um, and then also just a couple websites. If you're just looking and, and trying to find somewhere that's vetted where there are options, um, nowmattersnow.org. I got from a colleague today and I was checking it out and there's little tips and tricks and it talks about what you do and coping skills. And, and that's been, a, I've been looking at it all day and it's a really wonderful resource. Um, the Mighty, if anyone has heard of that, actually my colleague Dylan gave me that one. And um, it also has just resources, articles. They talk a lot about COVID-19. They send daily emails that are like, we're, we're here for you, we're looking out for you. So it kind of helps with that universality, like target that loneliness. Um, and then the last thing I was gonna say related to my shirt. So what my shirt says is be calm, be brave, it'll be okay. And this is a quote from the band Guster and what the band did is they are having these shirts on sale on their website at guster.com and they are donating the proceeds to direct relief which is providing ppe to hospitals all across america all right so, thanks thank you katie for giving yeah. just that impassion and thank you for giving some of those resources i encourage people out there to, to look at look to not only talk with your clinician and talk about other resources but but keep this engagement going if you still have a passion about something even though we're in the middle of a pandemic doesn't mean that your passion for something has to stop if you have a pulse those emotions you can still support many community organizations that are here for you and here to help lift everyone up during this time i want to get into some myths versus facts because we've got about 10 minutes or so left so I want to get into some myths versus facts with everybody, something that we do each week on TRL with Dr. G. And so we'll kind of go through this as many as we can. We'll try to keep it boom, 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 sure. boom. I might even participate on this one. I don't know, but maybe yeah. not. We'll see. Uh, I don't think I did the last couple of times that uh, Dr. Brown and Katie O'Donnell were on my show, but Jump in. Still, they never know how I feel. So here we go. So we'll, here's how it works. I'll say the statement, and then uh, my panelists will say myth or fact and give us a few sentences why. We'll move on to the next one. All right, here we go. Dr. Browning, here we go. Statement. It's normal to feel a variety of emotions during this current time of crisis. Myth or fact? fact. Please explain. Fact. Absolutely. Um, as we said all throughout, this is an unprecedented situation. It is unsettling emotionally, and we are going to experience that emotionally with a range of emotions, sadness, guilt, hurt, uh, regrets. We're going to experience it physically, as you had mentioned. Sometimes that, that manifests in our bodies physically with upset stomach, headaches, uh, neck tension, uh, muscle aches, things of, of that nature. Um, so if you start to feel those things, recognize that. Listen to your body and understand that, that like any pain, that means that something needs to be addressed. And so understand that this is how your body's responding and let's do something to address it. Excellent. Thank you. Here we go. Next statement. Here we go, Katie. Myth or fact. Uh, one can never find a positive takeaway from a negative situation. Myth or fact? Myth. Please explain. So um, this goes back to my lovely idea of dialectical behavioral therapy, where rarely are things all or nothing. We try and find the and. So even in, in the most terrible situations, seemingly, there's always an and. Um, I'll give a, an example from my personal life. I have had raccoons who have been coming into my attic for the past two years. And I it seems- Girls, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. And it, cool. and it makes me, 
infuriated. It's very stressful. So it's look at the situation. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I have raccoons in my attic. What was me? How come our house? And I take that step back and say, and I have a house that I don't have to worry about where am I sleeping? It's in this very safe neighborhood. I have the means to hire people to get these darn raccoons out of my house and go. to rebuild my roof and, and, <laughs> and my husband and I are building up our distress tolerance. And I've been sitting with my, my desire to maybe buy a pellet gun, but, and right. it's, it's as so, much as it has been stressful, it has allowed a lot of growth and I could hold my emotional response. Excellent. Here we go. I'll take this one. Thank you, Katie. Next statement here. I'll take this one. It's important to practice self-care. That is a fact, 100% from a lifestyle standpoint. Let me hit you with a couple quick things. Number one, keep a routine. Sleep, seven to nine hours a night. Nutrition, you can deal with times of stress by dealing with eating complex carbohydrates found in fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and beans, and those kind of things. Exercise, move your body. Moving your body, just even any ounce of movement is better than no movement at all. And then lastly, drink water, socialize, and keep those virtual connections going on. All right, so here we go. So self-care, yes, you can do it. Here we go. Uh, Dr. Browning, here's a statement. Uh, being, here it is, matter of fact. Being personally inconvenienced can exacerbate crisis-related emotions. Myth or fact? Uh, fact. Please explain. <laughs> yeah. um, we love comfort. We crave comfort. So inconvenience, being inconvenienced is unsettling to us. So it's, it's a fact. But um, there's, like I said earlier, it can, has the tendency to push us out of our comfort zone. And as Katie was saying, we have control over our attitudes and behaviors. We can do something about it. We can initially be irritated, but then we can do something about it. Excellent. Here we go. I like this one. Here you go, Katie. Here's a statement. Uh, myth or fact, personal goal attainment must stop in times of crisis. Myth or fact? Total myth. Please explain. So I actually find I that it. when our lives are kind of in crisis and we are disrupted, it takes away maybe some of the ancillary stuff that was distracting us. And we can kind of focus on maybe some of the real stuff, the core stuff. I have a couple of people I'm working with who have echoed that sentiment. And we've been able to do a lot of really important work and really deep-seated family dynamics, um, fusion to really old thoughts. And it allows that space to say, hey, you don't have to feel any certain way right now. And so if you're not going anywhere and you can't go into work the same way and you have this space, well, let's have more therapy. Let's open this up and hold it and just kind of see what it looks like. So then you're not having to do all this and then, you know, go right to your job or go right to a family party and see those same individuals. So I say, absolutely. It's that, that's a myth. Yeah. Thank you. And then we'll do this last one for Dr. Brown. I thought I was going to take it. Dr. Brown, but I was like, no, nah, I'll make give this to you. Here you go. I like this one. And this is, a, I'm tossing you a lob ball on this one. That's why, but, but it's all good. Uh, okay. But I want your answer because your answer is probably going to be way more eloquent than mine is. Here we go. There is value in practicing gratitude and enjoying the little things, myth or fact? Absolutely a fact. Absolutely. Please explain. Um, gratitude is one of the... Um, greatest most powerful emotions that we can we can have um despite everything that's going on we are we are blessed um whether it's health family as katie said security uh roof over our head um 
we need to be grateful for the things that we do have and we need to spend more time on those. I think our minds naturally take us to the things that are uh, more um, uh, negative and disconcerting. It's just the way that our minds operate, that we tend to dwell on the things that are negative. We tend to dwell on inconveniences, as you mentioned. We tend to um, uh, uh, spend time on um, uh, being mistreated or, or factors that aren't going our way. Um, but we need to take time to consider the things that we do have that are going our way, that are worthwhile, that are beneficial. Um, it has the potential to change our, uh, our attitudes and our dispositions. And it's a very, very powerful emotion that needs more attention. Excellent. Thank you. There you guys go. Myth or fact. So we got about five minutes left. And uh, this has been an awesome discussion here with uh, Dr. Mark Browning and Katie O'Donnell, just really talking about um, the foundation of what's needed to not only just handle the pandemic that we're dealing with, that we're mired in, but also looking for some of those opportunities that are out there to continue to improve and stabilize and have good mental health well-being. So I said at the beginning, we called up the chief complaint when somebody came in to the office for a particular issue. We're going to wrap it up. We call it the assessment and plan. The assessment and plan is when somebody uh, gets their diagnosis and then they also uh, receive a treatment plan and most importantly, a follow-up. So I'll start with you, Katie. Uh, give us a few take-home points out there for people that have been listening to us. Give us a few take-home points for people to be successful or things they should take away in relation to making sure that they're going to weather the storm during this time of the pandemic. I'd say the first one is radical self-compassion. So treat yourself as you would treat any loved one during this time. We are way too hard on ourselves and tend to expect higher degrees of, of perfection than we would ever put on anyone else that we love or care about. When we're able to have radical self-compassion, it really opens up that opportunity to be productive, to kind of sit and hold things. So. That and then also mindfulness, finding that way to be present and connect in this moment. Mindfulness doesn't just have to look like, you know, meditating on a mountain. It can be going for a run. It can be going for a walk outside. It's all about doing one thing intentionally and how do you come back to this moment? And if you notice your thoughts are kind of floating or popping in, that's totally fine. So come back to this moment. And even if you're doing that 14 times in a minute, that's still mindfulness. It's hard. It takes time. Um, and then the other thing, like depression, stress, anxiety, it likes to lie to us. It tells us no one cares. It tells us that we shouldn't bother people. And don't believe that lie. Slap it in the face. People love you. People care about you. And this is emotional reasoning tells us a lot of fallacies. And our body is trying to get to that homeostasis. No, extreme emotions don't last forever, though they are very uncomfortable. So reach out to your loved ones. Tell your loved ones when you're struggling. Reach out to your therapist. Get a therapist. Everyone get a therapist. Everybody should have a therapist. <laughs> I agree. It's true. Thank you, Katie. It's, thank you for just your passion this evening and sharing your, your, your expertise uh, on really helping people and make sure everybody has opportunity and access to success when it comes to their mental health and well-being. So thank you very much. Dr. Mark Browning, give us a few take-home points for people out there uh, uh, to be successful, to, to take away from today's uh, conversation, and really to hopefully apply some of the tools that they've learned into real life and really to help manage uh, any kind of anxiety during this time. Okay. I think it's going to encompass uh, the things that you and Katie have both talked about along the way. Uh, the first one is self-care. Um, whether you're a practitioner, 
or a parent uh, or a husband, um, the best way we can take care of others is by taking care of ourselves, being our best physically, our best mentally, our best emotionally. So d devote time to taking care of yourself during this time, things that you said, like taking care of yourself from a dietary standpoint, from a sleep standpoint, from a physical health and exercise standpoint, uh, reading and growing and growing spiritually and emotionally. Um, that way we are putting our, our, ourself in the best position to be successful. But that goes to point two, take care of other people. We have, uh, we have both a, 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 a desire um, and a need to care for the people who are in our circle. And um, a lot of times we can better manage our depression by taking our eyes off of ourselves. Sometimes depression has to do with a myopic view of our own stuff. We look at ourselves with a microscope. If we can turn that outwards and begin to focus our attention on, on service, on care, on altruism, as Katie talked about, on uh, building into the lives of other people, speaking life into other people, caring for people who are less fortunate than us, it not only makes an extraordinary, extraordinary difference for them and for the community, you'll be surprised at the difference that it makes for you as a person. And then the third is to really to have, to have hope. Um, we're in this series in church called uh, Glory in the Grind. Um, and it talks about, you know, we're going to make it through this, but what are these times making us? Are we growing within this pandemic within this challenge, within this adversity? Are we innovating? Are we creating? Are we caring for people? Are we growing in our understanding of ourselves and other people? Are we using this time to be shaped into something that's valuable and worthwhile? I think Lou Mastro said at the beginning of this, our CEO, that every storm runs out of rain. Um, this is not gonna go, out, go on forever. We are gonna come out of this on the other side. Um, are we gonna be better when we come out on the other side of this than we were when we went in. Well, thank you, Dr. Mark Brennan. And I believe that was a Maya Angelou quote originally. I believe it was. Ones, I don't remember, I believe it was. So here are my final thoughts. Uh, we've just been having this great discussion this evening and the, one of the best things that people can do that you can do out there listening to your with Dr. G is to share this. Share it with those who need to hear this message. Look out for signs of stress and ask for help if you think you need it. It's never too early. As clinicians, the best thing that we can do is to reassure people during these trying times, pandemic or no pandemic. I want you to take a, I want you to acknowledge that the uncertainty is normal and that uncertainty, you acknowledge it, it'll pass. And then I want you to stop, pause, pull back, stay anchored in the moment, and then re-engage yourself when the timing is right with full attention and being fully mindful of yourself. When you're ready, realize that the foundation, this foundation of being in the moment right now during these times is critically important to maintain a balanced state of mental health and well-being as we navigate through the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. So it's been a great program. I want to thank my guests today, Dr. Mark Browning, uh, PsyD, ABPP, Board Certified Clinical Psychologist, Clinical Director, Linden Oaks Medical Group Counseling Services, Linden Oaks Behavioral Health, Edward Elmer's Health. Check him out, www.eehealth.org. I also want to thank Katie O'Donnell, LCSW, CADC, Licensed Clinical Social Worker, and Certified Alcohol and Drug Counselor, 
with Lyndon Oaks Behavioral Health, Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2020 by MDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Hey, everybody, stay tuned for my next show in two weeks. I'm taking a week off. Self-care, yes, got to do it. Uh, Be back in two weeks with a show about preoperative risk in the COVID era. Of course, if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to like and share it on social media. Audio replays available on your favorite podcasting app. Simply search for To Your Health with Dr. G. Subscribe and press play. Don't forget to check out my e-commerce store. It's still there, www.drmarkgomez.com to get some awesome To Your Health with Dr. G swag. Let's keep this health revolution going. Nice and strong. Stay well, everybody. Thank you again. Katie O'Donnell, thank you again, Dr. Mark Browning, and peace out.